Hey everybody, welcome back to What Would The Smart Party Do? We're here again, we're in the same country, even if not in the same region, um, but I'm here with my old mate Gaz. Hello buddy, how are you doing? Alright Baz, I'm very good. Just back from the Kraken in Germany, so I've had uh, a week of good gaming fun. And there's going to be a stash of podcasts coming our way, no doubt, off that. Oh yeah, Sandy Peterson, Ken Ralston, uh, Rick Mites, a couple of the bits and pieces in there. It's going to be lovely. Nice. So some proper gaming celebrities. And me as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I couldn't just have you on your own today, mate. I mean, we've missed you. We really have. But uh, but while you've been away, um, I, I've I've been hanging out with another man. I'm sorry. I'll tell you. I know there there are other podcasts available. Um, Betty from Truro and Derek from Cleethorpes are, are lonely listeners. They've uh, they've insisted that we widen our remit a little bit. So I've gone and got us a special guest for today. Not pleasing some people. Who have you brought with you, Baz? I've brought a man known to many as Dirk the Dice. Hello, Dirk. Hello there. Hello there, Baz. Hello there, Gaz. Hello, mate. So, Dirk's from, Dirk's from another podcast called The Grognard Files. It's dead good. Loads of people keep rec- recommending that I listen to it. Every time I say, have you listened to my podcast, within five seconds they go, well, well I will when I get round to it. But have you listened to The Grognard Files? <laughs> so... <laughs> I thought, what, what better way to, to outnumber our listeners but to get a third person onto this podcast and uh, maybe you can tell us how it's all done. <laughs> so, it's really good to have you on board, mate. Thanks for making the time for us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's good to be honest. I, I, li- I listen to your podcast religiously. Yeah. <laughs> on your knees, praying. Yeah, yeah. Surrounded by, <laughs> surrounded by candles and a pentagon. Yeah, Only <laughs> <Only> Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> To you. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, so, so um, um, go on, Baz. I was just going to say, guys. I bet it's the same question you are. For the for the masses, um, any chance you can give us a bit of a potted history um, about yourself and where you come from, and, and tell us a little bit about your your podcast because it's um, it is a firm favourite of ours, and and it may be that we've got some listeners who don't know where you're coming from and what you're up to. So this is your chance for a bit of self promotion, mate. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, the Grognard Files. I think Stuart Lee uh, says about uh, most comics uh, that are successful that it's remembering things in a, a regional accent, and uh, that's that's kind of what we do. Um, uh, <laughs> so, what we what we do is we talk about uh, games from uh, back in the day. Because uh, me and my uh, mate uh, Blythe, um, we used to play together back in the early eighties, and um, you know we used to have those long summers uh, playing games. <laughs> together and when a new game came out we would uh, play it understand it and uh, and play it, play it to death and then uh, sometime around the end of the 80s we stopped playing and then uh, we went into our deep freeze but in uh, 2010 we started playing again and it was then that we started to talk about role playing again and uh, a lot and we thought wouldn't it be good to turn this into a podcast so that's what our podcast is really us remembering things from our past and reflecting on how uh, how we play today um, so it's been good it's been it's been a good experience because it feels like uh, a community is built up around the podcast as well um, so perhaps we can talk about that later but um, mm. it seems to have reawoken a sleeper cell out there um, of middle aged uh, people who have rediscovered the games that they used to play when uh, when they were kids and they're getting reacquainted with it and uh, finding out what's happened since they stopped playing 
So really, that's what the podcast is all about. So how did you and uh, Blivey and the rest of it all get into your gaming in the first place then? Was it seriously early 80s or or what was your first gaming experiences like? Well, I suppose we were unusual in that, uh, unlike most other gamers that I speak to, that we didn't get into gaming through other people. So we didn't have an older brother or uh, a gaming club that we joined. Um, We we were attracted to the miniatures in our Mm. local toy shop. And we started collecting those first, and we didn't know what they were about. We didn't know what they were for, and we just had these things like a, an advancing Salaman, or a, you know, a Jackabear. And we saw all these things, and we thought they were great. Uh, and then we realised that there were games around them, and we took um, the RuneQuest box set home, the Games Workshop one, uh, with the Ian McKay cover, with a woman in a bikini fighting a rock lizard. We all remember that one. Uh, and There's a rock lizard. <laughs> <laughs> so we took that took that home, and we tried to understand what it was all about. And after about three hours, we took it back to the shop and uh, got a game of Risk instead because we just couldn't didn't <laughs> we didn't understand we didn't understand a, a word of it. Um, but luckily, um, we uh, saw a, an article in Starburst. Magazine. I don't know if you remember Starburst, but yeah. I was a keen science fiction fan and uh, I used mm. to get Starburst. Uh, a keen Caroline Munro fan and um, I used to you know, watch Ray Harryhausen films and I used to collect Starburst to find out uh, the latest uh, films that were coming out. And they had an article by Steve Jackson in there and it had a demonstration of a game and how you would play and it unlocked it. It unlocked the game for me, so I took it. I, I took my seven pounds ninety nine, went back to the uh, toy shop, bought the same box a few months later, <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. Um, we had a few games of um, basic role playing because there was a pamphlet inside that had the basic role playing um, game, so we used that at first, and then we tried to understand what Glorantha was, and we didn't know what that was but we used to just populate our adventures with brews and ducks and all those kind of things and then we slowly got into it and then slowly started collecting the other things but of course I I think it's given us a great insecurity because you know even now we're not even sure we're doing it right and I suppose the great thing about (laughs) the great thing about this new wave of gaming is that we're coming into contact with other people and we're learning we're learning things about ourselves, about our gaming styles, and that's very much about what we talk about in the in the podcast as well. There's a lot of what you're saying there that reminds me of my own self when I was a callow youth as well, and I think it was at school in, in Blackburn when I got someone gave me a great goblin from Games Workshop. Just this little leaden figure, and I had no idea what it was for. And my first foray into role playing was buying mail order games workshop stuff because we didn't have one in, in my hometown so it meant convincing my dad to write a postal order or a check so I could send it off by the mail to get like a goblin catapult back like a month later or something yeah yeah and you know parents were like why are you wasting your money on this but to me it was just magical and I didn't know what the hell it was but I wanted one you know it was that kind of experience and much the same as yourself like, there's a lot of uh, Glorantha certainly when I first got in touch with Ringquest and that kind of thing I didn't know what anything was but I understood there was talking baboons yes. and brews that could weigh acid and things like that and, and they were in my games but 
the, the greater tapestry of the background I had no idea about at all. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing, isn't it? Uh, it's a weird thing because that... Well, it is for me anyway, because you've had a kind of continuity, but when I uh, left Glorantha back in the late 80s, it was all about those things. It was all about the cults and the magic and... Um, you know, fighting the brews and uh, all the, all the, all that kind of stuff. I I stopped playing for all that time. Went to a deep freeze, and when I defrosted, it came to be all about cows. You know, if I look at the game now, <laughs> where did all the cows come from? You know, that's it. Oh, when right. you killed all the brews, the cows could flourish. That was the thing. You see. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, that was one of my. Uh, I think that we went through a phase where Hero Quest became a thing, which is a much more narrative game, uh, and not as crunchy as BRP or the old Green Quest system. And it did become more about stories and culture and all that kind of stuff. But it was one of my major complaints when the first Hero Quest came out was that all the source books seemed to be about basket weaving and naming yeah. ceremonies when somebody's fourteen. And I was like, where's, where's the killing bruise or you know, yeah. fighting chaos in these twisting caverns and all this kind of stuff? Like that's surely that's what we game about, but. Apparently not, and I, I did feel a little bit isolated in the extent that, like, this isn't Rune Quest to me. Other people are like, yeah, but it's about this myth and going on this hero quest and doing this, that, and the other. I was like, no, 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 you, you need to be like some dirt farmer who's picked up, you know, source to plowshare style, beat his hoe into a spear, and now he's going to adventure and might lose a leg the first time he, you know, encounters a creature. That's right. It's that age of discovery and, you know, lethality and just trying to by the skin of your teeth survive in this hostile wilderness so that's that's how it seemed to me and then all of a sudden went to that how many cows you've got and uh, stuff like that which I didn't really get yeah but it's it's funny though because now um, I get it I get it a lot more and I think it's a good thing that um, there are going to be different flavours of games to play in Glorantha because I think you're right, I think it's been in the hands of the ethnographers and the anthropologists and the forums of people who like the minutiae uh, for so long. It's going to be great when 13th Age comes out, when the new RuneQuest comes out, um, that people are going to actually play in this great world again and create their own adventures in that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It seems there's a, uh, from a, a, there's a lot of changes. Oh, sorry, guys. I'll just just to finish up the point there. Um, yeah, I speak to some of the Chaosium guys and some of the old Grognoids at the Kraken because it's quite um, a hotbed of RuneQuest and that kind of activity along with Chaosium other games that they've got like really. And a lot of the stuff recently that the sort of like people we talk about is in Panelteller, which is the southern continent, not the old one of Genitella where all the old stuff happened basically. And part of that is just to go to a completely different continent and go, do you know what? We need to get some new people involved. And we want people to create their own stories. So let's just go somewhere that we haven't explored before. And then all yes. of a sudden you've got, you know, everything's back on the table again because there isn't this 30 years of canon about what everything looks like because it's so uh, sparsely written about. You've suddenly got like a, a whole new world again almost, but it's still in the same setting, but you, you're yes. allowing people to create wherever they want and there's a whole new writing space for the official canon as well. Yeah. And that that's really that's really good, and um, I think uh, it, just going back to the cows thing as well. Um, the reason I got the cows is that um, you you guys work in business, and you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it applies to get your gaming, doesn't it, and your adventurers. So I think what they've done by the introduction of cows is to 
strip it right back so that you're worrying about your basic needs of shelter and um, you know keeping sustenance in your clan and your family alive before you can get to the point of self-actualization and I do think that that's that's good because otherwise because the way we used to play it is um, like a bunch of murder hobos um, and all all the characters used to be the same. They used to have a, a medium shield and a bastard sword, and um, that and they would be a part of all anth. But I, I can I can see now that there are benefits in using some of the colour, but I do think that it it's only relevant when it's in the game when we play when you're playing the game, and it's exciting that Chaosium have realised that, and um, it's going to introduce Grantha to a whole new. Uh, raft of players who will be able to create their own stories so when we were talking about like, the, the change that the games have gone through in the um, you've had 20 years of, of deep freeze so there was, a, there was a lot of games came and went in that time some of which you haven't missed you've not missed much don't worry yeah. um, but some of the older ones that were around in, in the 80s that still kept going their response to change was to go through loads of new editions and and sometimes they came out at the other end of that process or are still going through it now, fundamentally different games. And your D&D players who would have uh, chosen the D&D path instead of perhaps the RuneQuest path in the late 70s, early 80s, they've had more options than you can shake a cow at as to how to go about playing their games. And I think one of the reactions that they've had to that is to, is to have an OSR, is to go back to old school games. Yeah. Now, is it my imagination, or has RuneQuest never really had an OSR about it? I can't, I can't visualise people playing RQ1 or RQ2 all the way through those years when perhaps the game was going off in a direction that maybe they did or didn't like. But has, are you aware of a community of OSR RuneQuest players? I, I do think there are um, a group of people who stuck to the uh, Chaosium edition. Um, I have met people, or if they did, they went. If, if, many of them have been playing in the RuneQuest Three edition, and ignored the subsequent iterations that were developed by other um, companies like uh, Mongoose, etc. Mm. Um, so I, I think the, some people stayed faithful to some uh, element of it. But as Gaz said, I think um, there was a realization in the nineties that a percentage-based system had its limitations when it came to heroes uh, mm. and having very powerful characters. And so that's where Hero Quest was born out of, out of that, really. Um, and, and I can kind of see that, but I, I like, I like the, uh, the intuition of a percentile-based system. You know, that, that's why I could never... If you listen to the podcast, it's a long story. Our relationship with uh, D and D, um, it, you know, we didn't really have uh, everybody who we met with, uh, who was a D and D games master, was a megalomaniac, uh, and uh, because of that, it kind of soured our relationship with the game. Um, because it, the the problem was, I think I think Blythe would have loved to have uh, loved to have played D and D, but um, we had this stupid rule in our group where it was called the Prime Directive, where you were only allowed to have one game. It, it, the games master was only allowed to run that game; nobody else could buy it. And uh, because our friend Simon bought the Dungeon Master's Guide, 
it meant that we were blocked out of it. Um, <laughs> so we could never explore the game. And he only had the Dungeon Master's Guide. And so we had yeah. to try and play D&D with just the Dungeon Master's Guide. So we had no spells. The only spells we could have were the ones that were in White Dwarf. Um, and we could have no character classes. <clears throat> so our, uh, it, it, it's been... It, it's been a fraught relationship with uh, D&D and we're, we're just about coming to terms with it because we're now playing 5th uh, edition we're doing the Storm King's mm. Thunder campaign and loving it and loving it mm. I often wonder how many people have been put off games where nothing to do with the system or the artwork or the scenarios or the price of it but just to do with the people who play it I mean, yeah. there there are a couple of games that I don't, I kind of avoid because of the community around them, or even it's just one person. It's the same thing that stops you naming your child after someone who was a bully in your school. There there, there are no relation at all. There's no causal relationship there. But you you can't you can't abide like playing a game if you know there's a knob end who plays it as well. Yeah. And with D and D, unfortunately, just on a matter of scale, there's going to be an awful lot of, of of less than desirable people in charge of games out there. But isn't it isn't it built into the mechanics to um, breed knob knobhead store because it kind of <laughs> creates power game and uh, acquisition of stuff and arguing over stuff and uh, it's a, that's but, a massive philosophical debate As, and I tell you <laughs> I've, I've I've heard it raised before does D and D create its gamers or do those gamers flock to D and D because of what it does I don't know I think it's probably a bit of both isn't it. But there are, but you can look at any other game and say the same thing. I mean, what sort of person does Call of Cthulhu attract? You know, <laughs> get them all in one room and have a look at them through squinted eyes, and uh, <laughs> you know, your, your Gillette salesman isn't going to make much money out of that convention, is he? No. I think but, uh, <laughs> one of the one of the differences I think when you say these are an OSR for inquest, I think OSR to a degree for me is that getting back to the game you used to play when you were a kid. And so from a D&D point of view, it's like usually stripping it back to basics or a couple of house rules and things like that. But it's about playing D&D games with the system uh, and, or a version of that system. If you look at Lamentations of the Flame Princess or that kind of stuff, that's all weird and wonderful and completely different than uh, The Curse of Strahd or something like that, for example. Mm. But they're all about the system and how you play your D&D. And I think RuneQuest was all about the feeling... Uh, around what you were doing at the time and what the sort of world you played in. So I think RuneQuest hasn't got an OSR because it's more about the world and the things you did yes, right. rather than yeah. the system per se. You know? Now that's a fair point. Even though I think, and, and uh, you've said as much as well, I, I think a, a bunch of people kind of um, tried to get into the world and never quite could. Cause it, I mean, you've got to say it's impenetrable, haven't you? I mean, Glorantha was hard work. I mean, I've tried. I, I really did. I had the same Games Workshop box with the, the deep purple box. <laughs> Not nothing yeah. to do with the band. It was deep. It was purple, <laughs> but it had it had basic role playing in it and um, Rumble at the Tin Inn and Gringle's right. Pawn Shop and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but uh, that that doesn't that, that's not enough to get into Glorantha. Glorantha seemed hard work. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I'll, I'll let uh, our guest speak in a minute, honestly. Uh, but yeah, I think part part of the problem is there's never been like um, a sort of introductory path to follow it's always been a collection of uh, miscellany really almost and it's, it's something like the crack of last year I was asking the assembled new uh, owners of Chaosium like what, what do I do if I was a new player getting to Grantha then what would I buy and one of them held up like the 500 page 
Atlas of Glamour, or whatever it was. Oh. It's like, you can't wear that in new players like that. How is that going to sell? You know, and I think it fell on deaf ears a little bit at the time, but thankfully they've kind of got the, they've got the sort of company back up and running now and started thinking a bit more about what they want to do. And you've got the RuneQuest quick start and some other things like that. And one of the things that RuneQuest was always missing was like, where's your beginner adventure? Where's your introductory to the, the setting? And then you start introducing elements as you go. And it never really had that. It just had this big set of, it was like researching a long lost civilization where you go to a library and find old manuscripts and bits of story and contradictory information and things like that. So it's never had the source where someone just goes and goes, you know, I want to lay down 30 quid, tell me all about this game. And it didn't really have that before. And I think now the sort of company's trying to move more towards having a route in for new people. Yeah. And, and, and they're justifiably proud of that guide to Glorantha because it is a, a work of magnificence. However, um, it is a heavy millstone as well because, for example, at Expo, I went into a game with um, Ian Cooper doing Hero Quest. It's my first ever Hero Quest uh, game. And uh, the first thing he asked was, uh, so does anybody know about Glorantha? What's your, what's your level of awareness? Now, everybody that did that looking at the shoes thing and, uh, <laughs> you know, waving the hand. Well, you know, I know a little bit. And that's a, that's a problem, isn't it? Because the people around there, all of them had played the game, but they didn't feel um, able to say, yes, I know Glorantha. And mm. the, thing, the thing is that yeah. it, we've got to get... We've got to get past that, and that's why I think it is good that all these new um, systems are coming out, and that you know, let's get playing in Glorantha again. Let's get uh, having these adventures, and that quick start adventure is really good. If you, I've I, I seen smiles on people's faces running that uh, adventure because it is easy to grasp. You get the idea of the cows and how important the cows are, <laughs> and. Um, it also has elements of uh, Cthulhu because there's an investigation and uh, sinister mystery and a great confrontation at the end. It's a superb adventure. So, uh, you know, I recommend anybody uh, to download that from Drive Through RPG and play it because it is a you'll have a great afternoon. Uh, and that's what we need to get to. Really, we need to get the academic stuff. is great, and you know. Everybody should be proud of it, but let's get gaming with it. Let's get uh, fighting with a, you know, a, a duck who's trying to steal a grieve off your, uh, off your shin uh, again. You know, that's 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 the, that, that that's what we want. That's that, that's what players want. That sounds a, a million times better than the last time I looked for an introductory scenario for Hero Wars. I think it was, and uh, my my web search took me to an adventure about flying kites. And I, and I shook the pages to see if there was actually any adventure contained within it. But no, it was about all anti-barbarians at a kite festival. I kid you not. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. looking for everything to be set in a dungeon with a beholder in the end. Not everything. But I need a little bit more than a child seaside pastime to count as an adventure. <laughs> if the kite started fighting back, now that's an adventure, isn't it? That, if now it, you're talking. If the, kite, if the kites, you know, uh, were actually bats or something, that would be, that'd be fun. <laughs> But, I've got uh, um, I've got a confession to make about RuneQuest in that I've actually only ever played it once. But but right. the there's, one time there's I a challenge. It, well, yeah, I, but I think I, I, I can't play it again either for the same reason as I've only played it once. The one time I played it, Greg Stafford ran it, and that's you know ah. that's 
That's kind Ooh. of like you know your, your best and worst and every game you'll ever have of of, of RuneQuest. I can't really go back and play it with anybody else now, can I? And and you know, and it was a perfectly fun evening, and um, it was really interesting because you know Greg obviously he, he wrote everything about Glorantha, and he's a he's a he's a fine gentleman for loads and loads of different reasons, and a fine GM too. I really enjoyed the evening, but almost the first words out of the players' mouths sitting around the table when he said, "What do you do?" in the time on a GM fashion was what year is it? And I've heard people report that all the oh, time yeah. about any game set in Glorantha that when the GM says what do you do? The first thing someone pipes up with is what year is it? And they get their pencils out and they look at the GM almost like a challenge. Like it depends what number comes out of your mouth next as to whether I think you've got the metal to run this game. And even Greg mm. Stafford went well I don't I don't really know does it? Uh, whew, Christ uh I thought we were going to hunt down some chaos things in the wilderness. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. What, what year would you like it to be? And to hear Greg Stafford say that just just reinforced for me that sometimes the games fans don't do it any service at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're giving me a challenge there, uh, Paz. You'll have to come and have a, a game with me. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I, re- I genuinely would. Yeah. I genuinely would. Greg, Greg ran a good game, and um, yeah. and one of the I'm, things I'm not, that I'm not I saying that. I'm not challenging uh, Greg Stafford though. I'm just saying, you know, I think you should. We can rescue you. We can rescue you. <laughs> I think you should. I think you actually should. You know, I think he, he could choose you as like his champion, like you know, <laughs> trial it. by RPG. So you know, that, that would work. <laughs> now he was good. I, I tried to play a fighter, but it didn't really work, and because of that, that's not enough in a game of, of RuneQuest. When Greg Stafford's asking you what's your character like, I tried to play a bloke with a spear and a shield. Um, which I think this is what all the pictures look like, and it was all I could think of. And I think they said Temple Guard, and everybody else around the table just went, "Oh God, noobs!" Yeah, <laughs> and they yeah. just they started talking about their baskets and kites. So drink, really. <laughs> we had to go again went to Continuum last time when there was um, there was thirteen paging Gorantha, which is yeah, uh, you thought would be the, the perfect uh, storm for Baz, really, because you get a big Gorantha. Yeah, now you're talking D so. That sounds great, but the trouble was we got it was like when two worlds collided: it was the sharks and the jets, or the Montagues and the Capulets. Because half the table had sat down like expecting the game of D and D, and the other half turned up, and literally the first word out of one person's mouth was, "What year is it?" And the <laughs> yeah. guy who was running the game just went, "Don't know, pick one." You know, he's like, "I don't care." <laughs> yeah. uh, and then we tried to get one of these uh, ladies who had them to roll some dice, like, "Okay, roll D twenty." Like I've literally never rolled a D twenty in my life, and she's like our age, you know, she's in her forties. It's like you've never rolled a D twenty. Like you must be, you wow. must be joking. It's like hit locations in RuneQuest. You must have rolled a D twenty, <laughs> but not for that purpose. Not for deciding whether whether you hit or not. So we had, we had this table divided down the middle of people who knew everything there was to know about Grantha and people who liked playing D and D who knew nothing about Grantha and uh, never the twenty on me. But we got a game between us because the the players who knew stuff could kind of add some flavour without being too overbearing. And the guys who like the, the, the D&D could tell them about the mechanics and what dice to roll and maneuver to you. So there's kind of a meeting of minds by the end of it. But, but it just kind of goes to show that I think when you were younger, you were either a D&D kid or a RuneQuest kid, really. You were sort of one or the other. And there weren't many people who did a lot of both, I don't think. The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. 
It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new smart party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the smart party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! No. It was, it was interesting that earlier in the year, I ran a game um, for the RPG Academy, which is this uh, American uh, podcast, and they do a trial series. And part of the trial series is to test a game they've never played before. So I ran a classic RuneQuest, RuneQuest 2, and um, they were totally, they totally got the setting. They totally got Glorantha. They totally... Okay. They, t- they totally uh, bought into it. I, I ran uh, a version of um, Grindel's Pawn Shop, but I made them an army of ducks. And uh, they had to break into Grindel's Pawn Shop rather than um, re- keep, keep it, save it. Um, so they, they, they were trying to get uh, an amb- amulet out of uh, Grindel's, uh, Gr- uh, Grindel's possession. And it went really well. But what they didn't like was the mechanics because they were dyed in the wool uh, F20 uh, players and uh, D&D players and what they just could not get their head around was the fact that they were meant to be good at something yet they could only do it at 40% and they spent most of the time failing and the other thing they didn't like was the number of rolls required so you roll to hit um, it could get parried um, it the, you roll the damage, it's not sufficient to get through the armour, so there's all these rolls, and yet they were failing, and so they, they, they really they really couldn't get their heads around that, and I was explaining that, you know, I come from a culture where you can watch a 90 minute football game, and nil-nil be a good result, <laughs> so which kind of <laughs> It, it, you know, we, we kind of it's bred into us, isn't it? That uh, that that thing. But I thought that was uh, an interest, interesting experience from the other point of view. That they totally yeah, bought Glantha. They really got fine into gentlemen. it, and uh, they they just didn't like the the, the system. Uh, it's, it's an interesting point. I mean, Americans are interesting people, and and you know, KSEM is an American company, um, but I think being Brits. You're absolutely right about you know a nil-nil draw on Macclesfield on a wet Wednesday night is is a is a night out, <laughs> but you know a five-day test match that ends in a draw is even better. Um, but <laughs> yes, yeah. one of the one of the things I mean, Gaz said that you know people you're either D and D kid or RuneQuest kid. I think that's broadly true, but I think I'd, I'd put in a third one as well. If you're a Brit, I think the third option was Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and if you like Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which was in many ways. A kind of a blend of RuneQuest and D and D, actually, and Call of Cthulhu maybe wedged in there too. But if you if you grew up with that, then you were very pleased to have survived the first thirty minutes, let alone get to make an attack roll. And and you know, and if and if you have forty percent in a skill, what what you've been playing this game for years or something? That's like that's impossibly high odds. You must be the emperor, because you know to get above twenty percent would would be a huge achievement and I think there's something in the British character about playing games that are just unrelentingly grim yes. and the best thing you can do in a game is avoid ever being asked to roll a dice because you know everybody's faces would just drop at that point wouldn't it? oh god really have I said something that necessitates a dice roll because this is all going to go horribly wrong now I might as well start rolling up a new character do you think uh, then that um, 
you still feel as fondly about the, the old percentile system. I think you mentioned earlier, perhaps you did. Um, but I remember playing uh, like Woofer Up and games like that lovingly back in the day, but having tried to play them a bit more recently, I was incredibly frustrated by the fact that you didn't have the higher percentage. And yeah. certainly when you ask for like you know a group sneak roll and everybody's got like 20% or something and you're rolling six sets of dice, like someone's almost guaranteed to fail. So, did, do you still like have that same fondness for the request and other type systems, or do, can you sort of see more of the certainly more modern games? So I say modern, so like Savage Worlds, which is like ten years old, that has uh, rerolls and things like that, and even New Cthulhu has a luck mechanic or a pushing roll. So, there's definitely a, a movement more recently into like being able to succeed at something, or have a, a yes and or a yes but kind of mixed success where you get what you want with some consequence or something like that. Yeah. Or are you still like you know are you still quite happy with just like I've got forty percent of my spare and that's pretty good I'm, I'm happy there I'll do. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a a, a Gloranthan analogy to answer your question. So um, the Orlanthi Orlanthi people they have um, they have this rattle. I don't know if you know this story where they where if there's a crib and they need a warrior quickly they'll put a rattle in the crib and the uh, child will have an, an infant will have a, an accelerated growth and they'll be physically strong but intellectually uh, emotionally mature but they'll be they're good enough for warriors that's how I feel a little bit about uh, our role playing because we I feel like coming out of the deep freeze uh, uh, like a rattle barn that I um I've got a bit of immaturity about my my gaming, and we've only realised that uh, both of us, me and Blythe, we've only realised that over the last uh, eighteen months as we've been playing things like Numenera, Knights Black Agents, um, Blades in the Dark, and we've been playing these games, and we've realised actually it's good to be good. It's good to be. <laughs> isn't it good to be able to do things? You know, you're not, you're not like... <laughs> yeah. What what happened? You know. So, yeah. and and the 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 big the big change in our thinking, uh, and the and and the immaturity we've got, I think, is that we still find it hard to get away from the task resolution, to the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. that that idea of conflict resolution, or you know uh, where you set set the stakes, which is what Blades in the Dark does, isn't it? So mm-hmm. you kind of agree what's at stake here, and you have one role to deal with it. We're slowly coming round to the idea that actually that is that is really good, isn't it? Because you can have great scenes and great excitement, but you don't have to have the blow by blow crunch uh, of. of of doing it, there's still lots of things going on in, in something like Blaze in the Dark, but it's not about that, you know. Oh, I've got him! I've got him! Ah, oh, I've rolled three damage. He's got armor, and nothing's got through. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so it, it, it is. It is. Uh, it, you know, to, go, to to answer your question, we're starting to feel that. Um, that, dis- that slight dis- dissatisfaction, and we're starting to get to the point that I think we got to um, uh, uh, when we stopped playing in, in, in the late eighties, because we did start to get to the thing where, you know, we were getting 
um, so that our characters die at a really inconvenient point in the narrative and it upset us so we kind of think oh we've had, you know it, it would frustrate us uh with the game so um yeah but i think i, I think with a new RuneQuest, with uh rune quest role playing in glantha um they have tried to address that uh because they've used some of chris klug's uh innovations that he used in the james bond rpg in that it allows for over a hundred so you can actually augment a role uh, by uh, using powers of your rune or using your passions to increase your chances of achieving things so you still get the kind of crunch with um, old rune quests but you do have more ability to do things so I do think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out yeah I noticed some of that they seem to have like the passions and things like that. Seems to come from sort of Pendragon, actually. Yes. It might, have got, yeah. it might be the similar sort of thing, but you sort of inspire a passion in that to get an increase to a skill to do a thing. Um, and it seems very similar, so I was, I was interested to see that. I don't know if you've ever seen um, Mr. Dunham's Pendragon Pass, which floats around on the internet somewhere. And it was like an attempt or the, the makings of RuneQuest, but using the Pendragon type system, which apparently was something that. Uh, Greg Stafford was going to do at one stage and someone convinced him that BRP would be better or Cthulhu as it was at the time. I don't know the full story around that. I'd be quite interested to find it. But I think certainly um, that idea about your runes mean something in the game yes. uh, is you know, like quite important because it was always something in request that it felt like it should but then never really had a mechanical effect or you never really got anywhere with it. It just seemed to be like background dressing. And to try and put that front and centre in your game I think that's a more modern sensibility and makes more sense. That if you are saying my game is about this stuff, it's called RuneQuest, we're going to say, then Rune should do something you get, right? They, they should be important. And part of that is the scenario writing and, you know, the earth rune square, so all the fields are square and all that kind of stuff. But another part of it's got to be the mechanics as well, right? So you get to use the stuff that you, your god uh, has as their runes, you know, or what you believe in. And you, you, then your character objectifies a certain way of behaving. And then like sort of Baz was saying, it's not just a bunch of guys who've all got a, a spear, or it's not your, you guys have all got medium shield and a bastard sword. You've got different runes on your shields, and all of a sudden all your characters become some, you know, a, a more wide group of people with a different sort of shape each. Yes, and, and the other the other thing that they've introduced is um, the magic is more magical, because yeah. one, of, one of the things that uh, RuneQuest had that was different from D&D is that of course they had no levels and everybody could use magic but that magic was fairly functional and mechanical um, with RuneQuest Adventure in Glantha to give it, it's, that title rolls off the tongue, there's going to have to be a, an acronym <laughs> invented soon I think um, the, uh, with, with, the, with the new <laughs> with, with, the, with the new one um, they've made the magic so that it is tied to your rune and it does have more magical abilities and you can get rune magic earlier um, in your character's development so that's that, that's good I, I want to while I've got you both here I'm go- I need you I need to consult you because Gaz I know that you are famous for saying that no game has ever suffered for too much pace yeah that is one of your yeah. Um, in a couple of a few weeks' time, I'm going to be running a 24-hour marathon. 
Well, my first suggestion is to walk in, probably. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm using the new I'm using the new RuneQuest rules because um, uh, Paul Bodowski very kindly brought me uh, a Gen Con preview edition. Um, so it's it's like a stripped down version of the rules. They printed out a uh, hundred copies of them, and I got number one. So that's uh, nice. That, that's my, that's my pension fund. Uh, um, so, um, and I'm gonna gonna use it um, to run some adventures in uh, Doristar, but I'm I'm, I'm kind of thinking how am I gonna get through it because I do that thing normally where I just read ahead to the next section, you know, but ready for the next session, but the next session is gonna be in five minutes, so. <laughs> It, it's, yeah. it's going to be yeah. with the same group of players and those same group of players are going to be playing six players they've pledged for charity to play at the table and I've got to keep them going for 24 hours so how do I do it? So there's a variety of things there um, what is, um, Ken Ralston actually ran a, a game um, as uh, Rosacark the unicorn brew in, in Derosaur uh, and he brought with him a a, a modified horse's head that looked like a unicorn so that he wore for four hours the entire session <laughs> while he pledged Rosicard unicorn so asking you to wear a mask for 24 hours might be a bit much so maybe not that um, but yeah it was quite a fun game where it was like a West Point Academy and Rosicard got his best brews together to the offices in this like to send them off to the Lunar Army it was, uh, it was quite fun but w- one of the things in that uh, from talking to Ken that he likes to do is um, it's like paranoia where you never get out of the briefing room and that kind of thing is get get yeah. something involved with the characters. You you need to look for what the characters uh, mean to each other, or you know a little bit of story that they can bring themselves. Um, I don't want to totally uh, spoil my, my next podcast that's coming up with Ken to, to reveal it all. But he has this thing called Maximum Game Fun, which he stole off uh, uh, Mob Mike yeah. O'Brien. But a lot of it's um, it's some getting ideas from the players and then reincorporating that. So you've probably got to think outside of the box from your normal, I've got an adventure and it's quite linear, or we'll go from plot A to plot B to plot C, uh, and more about stuff that happens to the characters. And certainly with a way that requests can be quite deadly. You probably want um, something like Troop Player, so you, you want to introduce other characters because undoubtedly in a 24-hour session some people are going to die. Um, so I would, I would to, hope so. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> you possibly want someone that's been introduced already so that you can bring them into the story as the next player character, you know what I mean? You can just throw people in and go, oh, it just so happens as you're walking around this broom-infested forest, you happen to cross a, another adventure with a medium shield and bastard sword, his mate with a spear. Uh, <laughs> but if, if you can make it more about, like, uh, maybe they meet another adventuring party, so they've got people that you can then, you can use their characters later on. But also, what does that mean? You know, they bump into another group of adventurers uh, bumbling around these broom-infested Things and have they been tainted by the chaos? What are they after? What's their story? Why you know? Why should they help you? Are they suspicious of what you're doing? Uh, you could have uh, the remains. Do you remember Death Trap Dungeon? The, yeah, the yeah. old like yeah, that sort of stuff. One of the great things I liked about that was when you sort of went through this dungeon, you met sort of like uh, an elf had been plastered against this spiked door, and there was a dead barbarian somewhere, and one had gone mad from drinking poison. Or something. You, you kind of like met people from a previous adventuring party and, and what had happened to them. So you can have a bit of stuff like that, which is if you take a, a leaf out of the sort of OSR box, is to have a big bunch of stuff that doesn't actually 
necessarily have a, an explanation from your point of view, but you throw things in there. And then the players, as they talk amongst themselves, will probably come up with some great ideas about what this thing actually means or what it is. So for that kind of rolling game, I suggest you keep introducing elements and then look to reincorporate them. Uh, and if somebody mentions, well, this guy was probably, you know, trying to deliver a message back to such a thing because this is going to happen, you go, oh, that's quite interesting. And maybe they meet the second messenger or maybe they meet someone who's um, like intercepted him and has got a you know, he's trying to run away back with the message the other way or something. It's, uh, I think for that sort of length of session you need to have a way of getting more characters back into the game so you need to introduce lots of bodies they're all good for lots of ideas and they need lots of bangs and scenes and interesting things that will happen and let the players sort of describe what might be happening without necessarily having to buy them into it and say I'm expecting you lot to run my adventure for me you can still maintain that sort of, you know, that veil you're still the Wizard of Oz pulling the levers behind the thing while the big, uh, the big faces up there telling everybody He's a great wizard. But actually, you're, you're just pulling the leaves in the background. And if you maintain a bit of that mystique, I think that just keeps the game rolling and rolling. So, uh, yeah, reincorporation is a good one as well. It's like keep harking back to things that happened before or themes or something that somebody said or yeah. that buddy that got away. Or, you know, you just keep bringing stuff back in again. And then you get little moments amongst the players who are all like, oh, God, I can't believe that last brew got away. Now he's come back with all his mates or something like that. And it becomes a moment within the game. Yeah, that's... Good advice, good advice. Because I, I, I normally play at lightning pace. You know, I'm normally a. I, I take your advice, guys, normally. I know, but I know that it's going to be difficult in a marathon to sustain that level of sprinting. <laughs> yeah. well, you need you need light and shade still, you know what I mean? Yeah. When, when I say no games so suffers from too much pace, and Baz agrees as well and holds to the same sort of tenants. Uh, it's quite often like um, the old Shadowrun adventures where people spend three hours discussing how they're going to infiltrate the technology arcology and only spend 30 minutes doing it. Like, that seems like the wrong balance of where you're spending your game time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I push the pace when people are just messing about and talking about basket weaving or kites uh, <laughs> and get some brews involved, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's that old adage about men with guns walking as a, a narrative device and simply, you know, brews with crossbows walking, you know, they're all just talking about basket weaving and Start shooting arrows at them or something, or you know, light yeah. fire at them. I, I but there's, there's still, a... sorry, I was just going to say, there's still space for like if people are just genuinely chatting about what they're doing, having a good in-character chat, or deciding whether to kill the prisoner or not. If they're having fun with it, give yourself a breather, you know, have a think about your next five minutes, but don't let it, you know, it won't start stretching out until they're just messing about. That's when I say inject some pace again and get things moving because you need to keep it fresh. Yeah, you'll get bored. Yeah. I think at some point they're going to have to contract some kind of disease, um, oh, of course, because uh, it'll explain why everybody's falling asleep during the uh, the game. Because <laughs> we're all old men, you know what I mean. <laughs> That's why you need to keep injecting pace because you need to like you know keep everybody alive in the real world. Yes, because you know I, I, I've long past gone past. Uh, buying very long campaigns because, you know, I may not actually see the end of them. <laughs> so, you know, if you can get a 24-hour campaign done, more power to your elbow, sir. Have a sonatogen and keep going through the night. <laughs> yeah, I'm bucking nice to win. I mean, another thing you could do to mix it up, uh, I don't know whether your players would appreciate this narrative sort of device, but it's to have a completely different set of uh, adventurers. As I mentioned, there could be other groups that wander around. And at one point, if things are flagging a bit, just go, right, okay, put those character sheets to one side for a minute. Here's your new characters. Right, you're over here. 
and this has happened and that's happened and, and like getting to ah, approach something from another angle. And that might just wake people up a bit and give them something different. Especially if they're hoping to get to, I don't know, a waypoint or this like safe point within the forest that they think like, well, if we get here, we'll, you know, everything be great. And then it turns out that the, the characters we've played earlier have already been through and like taken all the stuff and nicked all the rations and fresh water and whatever else. And now they've, they've fought their way through breed infested forests and got to an empty place because some other band of Torags have been in and they've taken everything. You know, and then they might want to follow them and find out what happened or something. You can kind of do a, a bit of switching between different different camera angles or scenes in the movie, if you know what I mean. Like, meanwhile, over here, this is happening, kind of thing. That might give you a bit more longevity. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you. See, I knew it was worth coming on to the consulting GMs. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the last piece. A... That idea of the long game has been kicking around for a little while. I mean, you know, well done for, for wanting to go for a 24-hour game, because I'm pretty sure I couldn't do that. But over the last couple of years, a friend of the show, John Dodd's been organising a convention called LongCon, um, which runs over a weekend, and it gives people the chance to play a single game over a whole weekend. Um, so, you know, so instead of squeezing stuff into a three or four hour slot as a one shot, it's a chance to like relax a little bit and, and extend yourself into a game and start in the morning, go through, have a couple of meal breaks rather than toilet breaks, and then play again on the next day and go through over a 48 hour period. And people have been loving those sort of games because I think that, that people do like a slow burn game as well. It's, it's not my preference, but people do like that. So you don't have to be going at a breakneck pace all the time. I mean, if you've got a 24-hour game, that, that gives you the excuse to sort of kick back a little bit, really. Um, and the reason why Gaz keeps on giving out this advice is because people need it. So I don't think you're going to have any problem at all with people going too slowly. That's, yes. that's, yeah. that's not going to be the issue at all. So um, <laughs> it, uh, you know, One of the interesting things about LongCon is when people are pitching their games for it, uh, you, you get all this stuff on the internet about people going, oh, maybe we can try and do Master Nihilathotep. It's like, okay, oh, really? You, it's going yeah. to still take longer than two eight-hour sessions to run that. At the, when you're hoping for a slow-burn investigation, you want a world-spanning epic. You know, it, I, th- I think you will be amazed how much content will get you through 24 hours. I, th- I think you know, yeah. three or four pages of, of especially RuneQuest. The old adventures were in like four-point font, weren't they? And yeah. had like you know, solid yeah. material. It was really gameable, if I recall. So that'll probably keep you going through three or four weeks of play. I suppose it takes us back to uh, how we started and uh, talking about the Grognard files and uh, when we were kids, because you know that idea of long sessions was how mm. we used to play. You know, we used to start early in the morning and continue till late at night, yep. and then start again uh, the next day. So, yeah, I think uh, you know those old timers have to kind of have stolen moments, don't we? Of uh, when we can play and they tend to be in short bursts so that's really why I said I'd do the 24 hour thing to, st- to kind of replicate those things I used to enjoy as a kid yeah yeah. you know when, when the summers were all hot and uh, yeah. and you could play for 18 hour stretches and so on but I still don't think we did play for that long back in the day I think that rose tinted spectacles are a magic item aren't they that oh yeah yeah definitely gets, right? I've got and... a really good pair you know <laughs> Do you remember Spangles? Do you remember Spangles? (laughs) (laughs) When when you could buy a marathon bar. And I I just don't think we did. I I played a lot of D&D in my youth, but I never got above fifth level. I I played Tomb of Horrors, but never got past the third room. 
I bought a lot of big campaigns. I played published stuff more than anything else, really. Um, but most of it was still, oh, I can't wait till I'm older and I've got a job and I can afford to buy proper things. Yeah. You know? And I'll have my own room where I can do my gaming instead of like you know <laughs> having to clear away the Games Workshop floor plans because it was time for tea and Metal Mickey was on in ten minutes. Yeah. You know? But it didn't. It doesn't get any better. You just have to squeeze what you can out of things, can't you? I think online gaming helps. Yes. But but even that is probably at its best if you can do it in two hour bursts. I think. But you know the possibility of playing with anybody because you've pointed out in your podcast before definitely that having that network of gamers was the hardest thing to do. Trying to find someone else to play with was a nightmare. That's easy now, and you get you've got gamers on tap, but you haven't got any time to speak to them. That's the, <laughs> that's yeah. the balancing act. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's where what we used to do. You see, we used to get a campaign and we would see it through from beginning to end. Uh, we used to be completists wow. like that, and that really, really what got us back into playing again. So we played Masquerade Athletep, um, and we played uh, Borderlands from beginning to end, Griffin Mountain, wow. all those big campaigns, um, because that's what we used to. We used to love it. We used to love it. We must be completists. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've still got things I'm going to complete at some point. And I, can't, I can't see it's going to actually happen now. <laughs> but it would be good. It would. It's interesting, though. So it, what what happened, if, if you can go back into the realms of your memory that far, what happened at the end of the 80s to make you stop? And, and why did you pick it up again 20 years later? Because me and Gaz bang on about the 90s a lot. It was a pretty good decade for gaming. It's a shame you missed it. But, <laughs> but what were you doing for that 20 years? Because you've missed Earthdawn, and we need oh, to talk wow. about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a variety of things. We often think what caused it. I think part of it was um, we grew frustrated with the games we were playing, and uh, for the reasons mm-hmm. I said earlier, we got frustrated with each other, mm-hmm. and um, things exciting, exciting things like um, drink and um, boo uh, uh, women uh, came oh, along. Yeah. Uh, and distracted us and um, we went in different directions and I think because we were a core group of players and we didn't really have that club mentality when we went out to clubs it wasn't quite the same we, we, we're used to playing with friends and um, I think when that went it was a kind of thing where we all of us all all of us kind of closed our, closed the door on it and said that it comes in also, you know, we, we always overplay this, but we fe- felt a sense of betrayal with Games Workshop because of all that thing of it suddenly became all about the minis and about, mm-hmm. you know, all those things we used to like about the game seemed to be that they, they were giving up on it, they were abandoning us. Um, so that was an element of it. But if, if, we, if, it, if, it's, if we're honest with ourselves, it's because we just used to annoy each other. And we used to, because we were a, a, a core group of players, you know, we got on each other's nerves and it got to the point where we said, Let, let's stop it. And I think we tried dabbling. We tried, you know, defrosting a little bit, but it was never quite the same. Um, but then in um, 2010, we started talking about our memories of it. And it was thanks to um, the book by uh, Mark Barrowcliffe, you know, the Elfish Gene. I don't know if you know it, and he tells his stories of um, playing D and D in Birmingham. And so we started writing a, a memoir, and we thought, wouldn't it be good to put it out as an ebook? 
mm. but then we couldn't be asked. So uh, that became that became the uh, podcast really uh, when we started playing again. But yeah, it was really that thing. What of, game did you play again when you came back? Call of Cthulhu. Played uh, ah. Masks and Aphrodite, and <laughs> and 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 to be honest with you, we thought we would not play any other game. We thought Call of Cthulhu has it all, and then we started yeah. playing RuneQuest yeah. again, and then we started seeing some of the <laughs> things. We we started listening to podcasts like yourself. Yours and uh, good friends of Jackson Elias and uh, all those other things. We started listening to what other people were playing, and we started thinking, actually, you know, we've missed we've missed a lot. Where have we been? And so that's where the rat- mm. the rattle went into the crib, and we're kind of <laughs> wandering around uh, UK Games Expo with our wi- eyes wide open, thinking, oh, this is really strange. You know, this is what, what what's happened to. This little hobby we have, you know, there's there's loads of people playing it again. Yeah, it's not quite mainstream, not quite no. board gaming has has yeah. has gone berserk, and and uh, miniatures gaming is is not the way that maybe Games Workshop would have wanted it to be when they tried to own the hobby for the whole world because there's so many other people doing it now. But the uh, role playing still, don't worry, I'm sure you found out it still retains its cachet as being a proper geeks geek game of choice. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you you are a tiny nerdy slice of the geek pie. Well, ne- <laughs> even now. Well, next next week, in a couple of weeks' time, we have our second grog meet, which is um, I don't want to call it convention because it's just a lot of people in a room, but it's something <laughs> uh, we uh, we set up uh, last year. Uh, listeners of the podcast uh, to get together to play games and uh, this year we've got Dragon Quest, Traveller set in um, Blake 7 uh, mm. world uh, got RuneQuest of course um, we've got um, Mike Mason's actually coming up running a game of Call of Cthulhu for us so we've got that and it feels great now that we've got that sense of community that community of gamers that have had similar experiences to us because you know we've, we've been quite parochial in our gaming and meeting these new people have allowed us to kind of expand our horizons and be a bit more adventurous so really you know this is what I always say when people say you're not really a grognard are you and we're probably not because we're opening our minds to these other things because you know that it, it's exciting us Blades in the Dark is a fantastic game, and we had that mm. sense of that we've never really experienced um, since we started playing again. Of um, it, 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 stories being created on the fly, and you know the the setting was there, but you could do anything within it, and they felt confident. Mm. Um, you know, they they killed Baz Bazo. Sorry about that, Baz. Uh, yeah, but, it happens a lot, <laughs> uh, and it didn't feel like uh, the world was going to break. You know, it felt. Yeah. Uh, a liberating thing. So, yeah, I think I think these new indie games are going to be uh, as, as we as we see them as things we're going to explore. So things like Earth Dawn, um, Sav- <laughs> Savage Worlds, over the have completely passed us by. So, <laughs> we're, you know, it, we, we can discover them anew. Yeah, yeah you've kind of got um, you've got. A- Good wealth of resources. Now you mentioned podcasts, for example. When when we were lads, you just you had like articles in the back of the magazine, didn't you? Like 
You couldn't yeah. have flame wars on the internet because you'd have to send a letter, wait a month for it to be published, and then they'd read it, and then a month later they'd reply, and it might get published. So they got like one response every two or three months. It was impossible to have an argument with someone because you'd calm down sufficiently. That's it. But, um, you know, but yeah, but podcasts and things like that are just now a wealth of information. You can watch videos of people playing yeah. D&D or any other game, to be honest, and watch them play through it. And if you want to know how to play someone, as he was saying, you had to take those back and buy risk instead. Well, now you can actually watch a video of people playing and understand what it is. And you can, if you want to hear about a game, you can listen to someone like me or Baz bang on for an hour about Blades in the Dark, you know, before you risk your money on whether you want it or not. You, like, we're just in this world now, we've got all these resources, but back in the day, you had to rely on White Dwarf magazine or someone you knew or putting you know, like a little ad up in the post office window and hoping someone replied to it. And, you know, when they rang you were in on a little dial phone and your mum wasn't using the phone or something, you just, the wealth of opportunities available to people these days is just uh, beyond compare, aren't they? It's ridiculous compared to <laughs> where we were, lads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when my home phone rings, it's either the mother-in-law, uh, <laughs> my dad, or someone who's managed to find a copy of Valkyrie from 1992 and is phoning up my house to join my gaming club. <laughs> <laughs> it still happens. And the latter's yeah. the most frequent, right? <laughs> yeah, they are. Or PPI, which I count as, you know, <laughs> it's a good way of getting rid of them if you ask them do you want to join my D&D group they don't hang around long enough phone, no they don't <laughs> right gentlemen I'm I'm conscious that as as, as old men with Horlicks yeah. bubbling away in the kitchen nearby um, we should maybe draw a veil uh, <laughs> over some of our over some of our gaming predilections uh, until the next time so so Dirk, thanks ever so much for coming on to our little corner of the internet. Well, it's been it's been an absolute delight to catch up. It's been a pleasure to do it. Thank you very much for asking me. It's been great, and thanks for the advice. <laughs> no, I guarantee it's good advice. Much, guys. <laughs> yeah, it might, it might be bad advice. Come back in a couple of weeks and let us know. Yeah, well, I'm sure it's well, bloody my advice as well. You cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that mine's the good place. The stuff you said, I'm worried about. <laughs> you, you, you with your Dorset accent right until the next time people um, is it adios amigos is that how that's, we sign that's off right adios amigos <laughs> thanks everyone you can get in touch with the smart party via your favourite electronic means look us up on the forums where we're just about everywhere or you can simply email us at thesmartparty at hotmail.com your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome. Roll diplomacy!